0: Remarkable story, yes? Indeed, indeed. And we were blessed at the nine o'clock hour to hear about this kind of work that's going on in Nigeria and how this church has been a part of it for a long time and continues to share. And between the two services today, um, we had an opportunity to hear a little bit more about Schools for Africa over in the Upper Fine Center, so I'm very glad you're going to be around for a few minutes afterwards, so this congregation that's come here that maybe didn't hear you there just has a moment to meet and greet and connect with you before you go. Just a remarkable, remarkable story. Well, today is what's called Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany Sunday. The Epiphany was on uh, January the 6th, which was Friday, and that's when we had the big tamale dinner. epiphany is the day in the life of the church when we commemorate the visitation of the, wait for it, magi, when they came to visit the Christ child after he was born. And they brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So your first takeaway today is they're called magi, not magi. That's one. Two, how many magi were there? Yeah, well, we think three. They brought three gifts, but we actually don't know how many there were. There could have been two there could have been 20. It could have... Been, what do you call a group of magi? Is that like a gaggle? What is, what, is, what is that? I don't know what you call a group of magi. But anyways, it's a time in which we recognize that the light, you know, the star that shines the light is revealing and opening and light shines even in the darkness with Jesus coming into the world. And so it's a great season after the epiphany to be in. Today we're starting a new series of messages uh, about values, and we're going to read the text in a moment that I want to share with you today. And so what I'd like us to do is something a little different today. We always put the text up on the screen. I'd love for you to get out your phone or tablet or the Pew Bible in front of you and open it up to this text today. The book of Genesis is easy to find. It is the first book of the Bible, and you will find it on the first page page of that book. This is Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. And so it's on the screen. That's cool. We're going to keep doing that every week, but I think it's good for you to actually look at your own Bible or look at a Bible you have with you and follow along as we hear this text. All right, I'll give you a minute to get there. Should be pretty easy. I didn't ask you to look up Nahum, so we're all right. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. We're going to read from verse 26 to verse 31. I'm reading from the Common English Bible, which is the same translation as the Bible you have in the pews in front of you. Then God said, Let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on the earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them be fertile and multiply fill the earth and master it take charge of the fish of the sea the birds of the sky and everything crawling on the ground then God said I now give to you all the plants of the earth that yield seed and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds its seeds within it these will be your food to all wildlife to all the birds in the sky and to everything crawling on the ground everything that breathes I give all the green grasses for food and that's what happened God saw that everything he had made and it was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the 6th day. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Here he is. This is my friend Stuart Altshuler. Stuart is a, a rabbi in a conservative Jewish congregation, and I met Stuart about 15 years ago when I was down in Southern California and he was serving a synagogue not very far away from where my church was, and we struck up a good friendship. Our two congregations had a tradition of doing a Thanksgiving Eve gathering together the night before Thanksgiving with the Jewish community from the synagogue in our church, and we built off of that in a number of different ways over the years, but he and I have been close friends ever since, and uh, he was serving a synagogue in London, and now he's back in the United States serving a synagogue near Tampa, Florida. I told him when he came back to the States, I go, could you please, could you gotten closer to me I mean, Tampa is almost as far as you can fly from Seattle, so I'm hopeful to see Stuart again soon. But during the years that Stuart and I worked together closely, and even during the time he was in London, we would have opportunities where I would have Stuart come and speak to one of my Bible study classes about a text exactly like the one we read this morning in Genesis chapter 1. And I had opportunity to go and speak and teach classes in his synagogue with Jewish community and his congregations, and it was just a rich time of exchange together. But there's something Stuart said that always stuck out to me over all the years. I remember him sharing it with one of our Bible study classes in our church, and it's this. He said, we can never overestimate the sacredness of life. You know, Stuart really believed that at the heart of Judaism was this deep, abiding respect for life in every expression and in every form. And that part of that tradition is to hold up the sacred value of all human life. And I'm thankful for the, the connection we have within the Christian church to the Jewish community, that we've inherited many of those values. And what I want to talk about during this series of messages for the next seven weeks is about how those values for us are lived out in a peculiar or a different sort of way. A way that really, in a sense, expresses what Stuart has said about the sacredness of life, but recognizes that the way in which Christians live out a set of values needs to be peculiar. It needs to be different. It needs to be unique. It needs to stand out. It even needs to be a little odd and at times downright strange. There are many ways in which, when we live these values out in the world in a certain way, people might ask us, Why do you do that? Why do you live your life like this in such a peculiar way? And then when people ask, that's the perfect opportunity to tell them why. Why we live this life this way. Why we practice acts like we do. Why we embody mercy. Why we embody these great values. And some of them you heard Phyllis share a little bit about in her testimony. How these values are lived out in such a way that it's a a light to the nations. It's the salt of the earth, if you will. It's a distinctive way of being Christian in the world. And so we're starting a series today called Value the Difference. And we're going to be talking about a set of values that we hold as Christian people and how we live them out in a peculiar and unique sort of way. And the value today is life, the sacredness of life and the importance of life. And this text from Genesis 1 is going to guide our way as we talk together about this. Today I just want to share two simple things. First of all, life is in relationship. Life is in relationship. Relationship. I want to read again the text we just read, but I'm going to read it from a different translation. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Bible, and it says this in Genesis 1.26. It's up on the screen. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. Just stop there. I'm going to leave that up on the screen. Then God said, Let us make mankind or humankind in our image according to our likeness. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? So like if you go look in a mirror, is that what God looks like? I hope not. I hope not. What does that mean for us? And I think that this sense of life is in relationship is important because I think being made in the image of God is all about relationship. And that's really where it starts in this connection we have together with human beings. One of my favorite theologians of the 20th century is the favorite of a lot of people, Karl Barth. And Barth talks about this idea that when we're made in the image of God, that means we're made in the image of relationship and relationability almost. There's a way in which we're made for interdependence and connection. And so when Barth talks about this passage of Scripture, he says to be made in the image of God doesn't mean that you literally look like God. God. But in a sense, you embody this relational characteristic of God, the ways in which we need each other, the ways in which we connect together, is what it means to be made in the image of God. You know, later on, in the very next book of the Bible, Exodus, if I had you read that, there's this book of law that God gives to Moses, and there's a top ten list that goes with that. You've probably heard of that. On the top ten list, it says, you shall not create any graven image or idol, and it's a prohibition for the Israelites at that point in their history that you, you're not supposed to make any kind of image of God, like a, something made out of wood or metal or, or anything else. Don't do that. Now, there's lots of reasons why that prohibition is there, but I would suggest, as Bart would also suggest, that the reason why we're not supposed to do that is when we create an image or an idol, we defame the image of God in us. In a sense, we're saying to God... Your image isn't in me because it's in that statue over there. Your image isn't in me because it's in that piece of metal over there that we've shaped to look like you. What we need to remember is the divine image is in us. The reason we don't make idols is because, in a sense, we're the image. Every single one of us. And when we look around the room at our diversity and our richness, what we see is the image of God in each other. So in this worship service, I'm going to ask you to do something. Turn around and look at each other. And look at each other in the eyes. I know that's hard for some cultures to do that, but try it. Look each other in the eye. When you're looking at each other, my friends, you're seeing the image of God in each other. In this first creation story in Genesis 1 that goes to the very beginning of Genesis 2, it says that God creates the world in six days and rests on the seventh. Most of us know this story, yes? But it's only on the sixth day when God creates human beings that God speaks to the thing that was created. At no point in the creation story does God speak to the fish God doesn't speak to the trees. God doesn't speak to the sky. God doesn't speak to the stars. God doesn't speak to any of them. But the day God creates human beings, God speaks to them. This is relationship. To be made in the image of God means that we're made to be in relationship or connection. That the very first thing God does in this story when God creates human beings is God speaks to them, communicates with them. It's a rich part of the story that we can't forget. When you look at each other in the eye, you're looking at the very image of God in each other. And that God has made us for relationship. Relationship with God. Relationship with each other. And as we're going to learn in a minute, relationship to all the created order. The trees, the sky, the fish, everything. We're in relationship with all of that. So I have a couple questions for you to wonder about this week. The first one is this. Is what, it, what does it mean for you to have the divine image 24-7? I think sometimes we forget that um, there are moments that we believe the divine image is more prevalent than others. So there are times at which we're very frustrated and angry with ourselves and we may self-talk ourselves into ways of thinking that we are not who we really are, that we're sacred And the same way in which we engage other people, somehow we at times can treat others in a way that doesn't regard their sacredness and dignity as human beings. What does it mean to be made in the divine image 24-7? The divine image doesn't get turned on when you walk in the sanctuary and get turned off when you leave. It's with you all the time. What does that mean? Another question to think about this week is take time this week to examine your vital relationships, like um, maybe your relationship with your spouse, your partner, with your children, with your parents, with extended family, with neighbors, maybe work colleagues, whatever it is. Examine those relationships and then ask this question, how might you increase the sacred value of others? How is it that you can lift up others I appreciated what you added, Phyllis, to your story this service about the reconciliation that's beginning to happen with your kidnappers. That's, that's such a powerful word about how you're recognizing the sacredness in them that God sees, and now you see, and they're lifting that up. It's such just a powerful story of that. I Just very moved when you added that piece. It's such a rich part of what this is very much about. People are sacred. People are sacred, using them, exploiting them, cursing at them? No. That's not our way. It's not our way. Now, there's a second thing I wanted to share with you, and that it's life is in responsibility as well. So life is in relationship, and life is in responsibility. So being made in God's image means we care for our own life like it's sacred, but that we care for all of life as if it's sacred, And then remember, God speaks to the human beings when they're created, and what does God say? I want you to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. Sounds very imperial, doesn't it? I want you to control all of these things and pull all the levers for creation. But I would encourage you to remember that first, life is in relationship. That means we're made in the image of God, and so as we are fruitful and multiplying, as we fill the earth, as we subdue it, as we rule over it, we do so as God does. Not as we want to, but as God does. How does God rule over creation? With grace, with compassion, with tender care, with nurture. This is how we rule over all of creation. That was what it means to be made in the divine image. We're the reflection of that. This is our responsibility. So that means environmental justice is our responsibility. That means the care for the human beings around us is our responsibility. The systems and structures that human beings live in is our responsibility. The ways in which people's lives are exploited and used, that's our responsibility. And we engage with it in a way that's like how God is engaged with it. Now, I mentioned on Christmas Day, for those of you who may have watched the the digital service for Christmas Day, I talked a little bit about this, that in the ancient world, when these creation stories were circulating, in all those other creation stories, human beings were created to serve the gods. But in our creation story, what do we read? Not that humans were created to serve the gods, but God creates human beings as a Expression of love as a gift. It's almost like an act of service, if you will. It's an inversion of that story, a flipping around of it. And it makes sense, doesn't it, with what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is in keeping with God, this responsibility of compassionate, loving service that we live out in the world. Because all of life is sacred. You've probably seen this character before. This is B.T. Roberts. Now, B.T. Roberts is the founder of the Free Methodist Movement. The Free Methodist Movement started in the 1850s and 60s because of slavery. It was dominantly the reason it was started, among many others, including charging people to sit in a pew, like you did this morning when you came in. Did you put your money in by the way of course not the free methodist movement started as an abolitionist movement fiercely opposed to slavery because we believed as methodist people we're opposed to all forms of exploitation racism and the uses of people that people are not to be bought and sold that's repugnant to us and so early Methodists, not just B.T. Roberts, but other early free Methodists, were part of the Underground Railroad, helping those enslaved in Southern America find their ways to Northern states so that they could experience freedom. This is what it means for us to treat life as if it's sacred, that life is a, life is a relationship and life is a responsibility, friends. And so there's some truths we hold on to as Christians that are are unique to us. We affirm that all of life is sacred, and especially every human being is sacred. Unconditionally, without judgment, there is no such thing as human waste. It does not exist. We affirm our opposition to everything and everyone that exploits and abuses people and creation. We affirm that we stand on the side of life, not just life, and here's the distinctive mark life abundant, and life eternal. These are our values. So I have a couple questions for you. How have you experienced the provision of God this week? You know, the God who serves. How have you experienced this week? As you look back on the last six days, can you find a moment in time, you say, wow, I experienced the provision of God right here. And how might you be a provision to others. How might this week you become a provision for other people? And another question to wonder about is what, what burden do you carry for the places and people who are not treated as sacred? I think God pulls on different heartstrings of every single one of us about the place of pain we experience when we see human suffering. It just gets us. What is that place? And then that last question, what action will you take? Now, actions... Are not posting something on social media. It's not sticking a sign in your lawn. That maybe is a start. But we're called to deeper redemptive action that changes the lives of people. So consider this week how you're going to treat life just a little more sacred, how you're going to treat it like it's special. It's precious, not to be wasted. What a remarkable call we've been given. What what would it be like if a whole church went out into this world in community and cared for creation and cared for people and cared for one another in this radical sort of way? We'd stand out, wouldn't we? We'd stand out. May it be so. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the distinctive marks of being Christian, the distinctive marks of being your people. We ask, God, that you would open us, open us to being salt and light in this world, that the ways in which we represent and serve you would be completely strange, and that through us, God, even us, you would somehow speak forth a word that brings life and life anew.